Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, In Philippians chapter 3, it says, uh, My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. And it is no trouble for me to say the same things to you again, because I love spending time with you. And I love that you uh, listen and tune in on the uh, afternoons and join me. Our time together is something I cherish. And we're going to have a great uh, second hour coming up with Ruth Graham as my guest. She's written a book called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself, An Invitation to the Miracle of Forgiveness. That is all ahead on our second hour coming up. Let's take a little break and get the show rolling. Be back in 60 seconds. 2020 has special things in store. An election, the Olympics, a leap day. And that trip to Europe I've been asking for. Well, some of those things are certain. As you listen to Faith Radio and firmly plant yourself in the truth of God's Word, you'll find hope in the thing there's absolutely no doubt about, the character of God. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Praising our risen Lord together. Proclaiming His resurrection. Faith Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm awfully glad to be uh, having on my program today, Ruth Graham. She's written an amazing book called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself. And it is uh, a deeply personal journey. And once you pick the book up and start, it is really hard to put down. Ruth, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, I've got another possible name for this book. How about how about look in the mirror? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, that's where we have to start, don't we? Oh my goodness! After we after we've taken a good long hard look at the cross. Yeah, absolutely. And when I opened the book and started, and you started off in Angola prison, you had me right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I've it's done a wonderful story. Uh, it's an incredible story, and I've done a lot of uh, prison ministry myself. So I've been on okay. death row. I know what it's like. I know exactly the scenario you were describing, and the sense of inadequacy you felt. You know, like just about everyone in the world when they're there. Yes, that's right. And yet, it is because of what Christ did on the cross that gives you the strength to be there. But I would love for you to just let our listeners know a little bit about that experience. Some years ago, I had a ministry of team leaders, and we would travel the country addressing issues that were not often discussed in the church, divorce, depression, homosexuality, abuse, those kinds of things. And um, so the warden of Angola Prison, Warden Kane, invited us to come and present our program to the prisoners there. And Angola is a prison of 
5,000 men who are serving life terms. These are hardened criminals. But we decided we would go, and we were excited about the opportunity. And uh, the camp is divided into five different the prison divided into five different camps, and each camp has its own chapel. And so we rotated from chapel to chapel as we made our presentations. And on the last day, Burl Kane asked if we would go to death row. Well, being in prison was one thing. <laughs> Going to death row was something I hadn't counted on. So I was very nervous, um, and as you mentioned, totally inadequate. I was Here I was, a middle-aged white housewife, what did I have to say to some of these hardened criminals? But I wasn't going to say no. I wanted to take the opportunity that the Lord had given me. So I went with fear and trepidation, and the gates opened, they clanked open, and you could see the razor wire glistening in the sun, and you went into this holding pen, and the gate clanked closed behind you, and you were in this pen before the other gate opened, and it opened and rolled to to the side, and there was a guard standing there waiting for us, and he pointed down this long concrete corridor and suggested that we divide up to reach as many prisoners as we could. So we walked down this corridor, and to the first cell I came to, a man held out his hand, and he said, Hi, I'm Michael. And I shook his hand, and we talked for a little while, and um, I talked to him about his family, asked about his family, and I I certainly didn't know what he was in prison for, and that's not a question you ask. So um, we visited, and then he said, can I sing you a song? And I said, well, certainly. So he took a step back and took a deep breath and began to sing, It Is Well With My Soul. And I knew it was well with his soul. And we chatted for a little while longer, and I I prayed with him, and he said, can I give you a gift? And I thought, oh, my goodness, what can this man give me? And he handed me a little cross that was woven out of the threads from his bed sheets. I have it in my home now as a reminder to pray for those guys. And I just cherish it. And we said goodbye after we'd prayed together, and um, I never thought anything more about our story. I didn't know that our story would ever reconnect in any way. But when I got home, I got an email from a lady, and she said, because the national press had carried the fact that I was on death row at Angola, and um, she asked me, she said, did you really go to death row at Angola? And I said, yes, I did. And she said, did you meet so-and-so? And I said, well, I don't know. I'll have to check with Warden Kane. So I called Burl Kane. I said, Burl, I said, did I meet so-and-so? And he said, yes, you did. And I said, okay. So I emailed her back, and I said, yes, I did. And she said, emailed me back and said, do you know if he's a Christian? And I said, I don't know. I'll have to call Warden Kane. So I called Warden Kane back, and he said, yes, he is a Christian. And uh, he, he said, as a matter of fact, he's scheduled to die this month. And I thought, oh, my goodness. So I wrote her back, and I said, he is a believer, but tell me, what is your interest in this young man? And she replied, she said, he murdered my granddaughter in a brutal way. And I took a deep breath, and I thought, oh, my goodness, what does she want? And she said, I just want to know that he's going to be in heaven with me. And I thought at that point, I had no clue what forgiveness was about. My forgiveness idea of forgiveness was so shallow. This woman was full of grace and kindness for this young man and she wanted to know that when he stepped into heaven into heaven that her granddaughter would 
meet him, and that they together, once she got there, they would have fellowship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I thought, wow, I have a lot to learn. And I did. I had a lot to learn. You know, Ruth, I read that story in your book, and now I'm hearing you tell it a couple of days later, and I I once again have these big tears in my eyes. I can hardly Mm. stand it. It is so. It's, it is so beautiful, and it, and I think of the story. the moment of forgiveness, the the capacity for forgiveness in this person's yes. heart, and it's just again, it's looking in the mirror, and I go, uh oh, that's not me at all. Well, and she had written me. She was a missionary in the Far East, and I thought, you know, technology had brought us close. Technology had allowed her to know that I was in the prison, allowed her to contact me, mm-hmm. and me to get back with her. And just the grace of God that he put a period at the end of her heartache. She knew what had happened, and she was going to go and meet this young man one day, knowing that he was her brother in Christ. It's just so powerful. So when we talk about forgiveness, and I know that's going to be the subject of our our time together today, I always like to talk about what forgiveness is, and maybe we can start with what forggiveness is not. Forgiveness isn't fair. It's <laughs> I not, know that for it, sure. Oh, it's not fair at all. No. You just asked Jesus how fair it was. Right. You know, he who was bloodied beyond recognition, who was beaten and maligned and just humiliated beyond what we can even imagine. And yet he did it for us because he wanted to forgive us. The great cost of forgiveness was displayed when Jesus was being nailed to the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is not fair, but forgiveness is holy. And it's not easy, is it? No, no, it's not easy. It's very difficult, as a matter of fact. But I think, actually, it's the decision to forgive. We have to recognize that forgiveness is really a decision. We make that decision in our mind. And once we've made that decision then the Holy Spirit comes into that decision and enables us to carry it out. So in that sense, making the decision is easy. You just you say, I forgive. Mm-hmm. But there's a struggle up to that point. Do I really want to do that? Am I willing to do that? I, make me willing to be willing. You know, we just yeah. we struggle with it because we've got an enemy who's constantly telling us, no, you don't want to do that. They don't deserve forgiveness. You need to take revenge, all those kinds of things. And our emotions just play havoc. But once we've made the decision and the Holy Spirit inhabits it, then we can walk it out. It may take years. It is a process. It's a lifelong process. And that's not to discourage anybody. That's just to say, so often when we make the decision, we think, oh, well, I've forgiven. And then maybe a week later, all the anger comes back or all the resentment comes back. We say, oh, I didn't forgive. I've got to forgive again. That's not true. You have forgiven. You just have to now walk it out little by little and renew your mind in the Scriptures. And, boy, the Scriptures are such an important part of that process. Mm -hmm. I so appreciate you saying that because uh, for a lot of people, it is a process, isn't it? It Yeah, a very long one sometimes. Yeah. Uh Uh, Ruth, would you talk—oh, go ahead. We can sometimes—I mean, it's easy to forgive a child who spilled milk on our floor. Right. That's a different level. But when we're talking about really gut-wrenching issues that we have to forgive— then it's a longer process. Mm-hmm. Ruth, would you talk about forgiveness and how it's really not 
defined by our feelings or emotions? Not at all. For, uh, emotions don't tell the truth. They just, emotions get in the way of the truth because we feel like we haven't forgiven or we, we feel angry or we feel frustrated. or we fe- Feelings are just feelings. They just are. They're not wrong. They're not bad. They just are. But they can't control our life. We have to let the Holy Spirit control our life and we have to have the Holy Spirit direct us and guide us and, and he will. He will inhabit our decision to forgive, and he will take over our emotions. Yes, we have to work, them, work through them and commit them to him. And every time we feel the anger, say, Lord, I feel this anger, and I'm so angry, I want to hit the wall. He will help us. He will help us. And I've, I've seen it in my own life. I know it in my own life. And I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit is our helper and our guide. And the Holy, the Holy Spirit has written the scriptures for us. To use, And so if there's a particular hurt that you're experiencing, find a verse that's relevant to that hurt. Memorize that verse. And the next time you feel that hurt, then quote that scripture to yourself. And you may have to do it through clenched teeth. You may have to do it a thousand times a day. But eventually, it will begin to wear away at that emotion. It will begin to wear away at that hurt. And you will one day wake up and realize, I have forgiven. I no longer feel that way. And it's a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. It's almost like uh, taking the image of the hurt, and as you boot it up in your mind, take the cross and superimpose it in front of that hurt and just think to myself, I've got to look through the cross to see the hurt. And keep focusing on the cross. Yeah. Keep focus on the cross and not on the hurt. Mm-hmm. And... We don't forget very easily, and I, I, I know it's a struggle for a lot of people, Ruth, but um, you, know, you talk about it being a process. Over time, we can hopefully diminish so we're not reliving and rehashing and going back again and again, because if we're doing that, we have not forgiven, have we? That's right. That's right. And, uh, and we can't, again, using the Scripture to renew our mind and asking the Lord to help us do that, because that's the only way we can get rid of the deep wounds and hurts in our lives. Mm-hmm. Ruth, what if someone who offended us, and we obviously need to forgive, but what if the person who offended us still has kind of a bad, negative attitude, and they're they're just not very nice still? Then what? <laughs> well, it's really not up to them. It's up to us. We're the ones in charge of our forgiving, and they may never be the nice person. Maybe the person you need to forgive is dead. Maybe they have been abused you for years. I'm not saying that forgiveness is the same as reconciliation. I I quote my friend Ed Gunger in my book, and he said, you know, we can go to the zoo and we can appreciate the animals and think they're beautiful, but we do not have to crawl in the cage with them. And I think sometimes that's true with with people who we need to forgive. Sometimes we need to keep a, a boundary and keep our distance because they're not healthy for us. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean we haven't forgiven. That just means that we're we're doing what's healthy for us. But forgiveness doesn't rely on the other person. A person that you need to forgive may never come to you and say, "Please forgive me." They may never even be aware. But it doesn't. That doesn't matter because it's not up to them. It's up to you to for, do the forgiving. Again, it goes and back. You, it goes back to forgiveness isn't fair, is it? That's right. And you don't have to hear them say you know, um, please forgive me. They may not even know that they've hurt you. Right. And, it, and it's no good to go and say, well, do you realize that you hurt me and you really wounded me and I 
you need, you need to ask my forgiveness. That doesn't work. <laughs> that does not work at all. We have to walk in forgiveness with the Lord, and maybe no one will ever know except the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's okay, because that's who we care about. Yes, that's the safest place to go anyway. That's right. Yeah. Ruth, talk about uh, your wounds being something sacred. Well, we can make our wounds sacred when we allow God's grace to flow through them. Uh, All of us have been wounded, some of us deeply. And uh, what we do with those wounds, do we harbor resentment and bitterness and anger? Do we... Every time that person comes to mind, do we think about what they did? Every time their name is mentioned, do we have to talk about what they did? Or do we allow God's grace to flow through that wound and minister to that person? And just, I know that sometimes the very act of forgiveness is a grace that heals, that does a miracle. And there isn't a miracle element in all of this because it's not our own doing. It's, it's God's doing. And I think that's when, and I use the illustration of Rahab in the Bible and how she was shown grace, a prostitute, you know, and, and uh, she was shown grace by the Hebrews. Then she was able to show them grace. And she made her wound sacred. And it was just, it's a really sweet story um, when you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Let me take a little break. Ruth Graham is my guest, and her book is called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself, An Invitation to the Miracle of Forgiveness. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. back to the show. I have Ruth Graham as my guest. She's written a book called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself, An Invitation to the Miracle of Forgiveness. And there are lots of books on forgiveness out there, but I pretty much promise you're going to want this one on your bookshelf because when I picked it up, I couldn't put it down. And she takes us on quite a vulnerable vulnerable journey and is uh, very transparent, which makes it very readable. Uh, Ruth, let's talk about uh, the power of grace because we started to talk about that before we went to break, and it's such a big word and such an important part of forgiveness. Well, grace changed my life, and um, I know that I told the story at my father's funeral, but when I had been married for 18 years, I realized that my husband had been unfaithful for a number of those years, and I was brokenhearted. I just was not prepared for that at all. I had grown up around honorable men, and so it just pulled the rug out from under me. And when we divorced, I quickly entered into a rebound marriage. Everybody told me not to. My parents told me, why don't you wait? Let us get to know this man. It's too early. Don't do this. But being strong-headed and willful, I went ahead and married this man on a New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a bad choice. And I didn't know what I was going to do. After five weeks, I became afraid of him, and I fled. And I knew I had to go tell my parents. But what was I going to say to them? What were they going to say to me? Yeah. Um, I, you know, we've, we're tired of you. You made your bed. Now you have to lie in it. You've mm-hmm. made a mess. You've embarrassed us. And so um, I did go see them. 
And when I got out of the car, my father was waiting for me. When I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me, and he said, welcome home. There was never any shame, never any um, condemnation, just total unconditional love. That was a grace that changed my life. And it was also, to me, a picture of what our Heavenly Father is like. I can see how that would be transformative in your life. It certainly was. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't... It didn't get to the core of me. I still had much more to learn about forgiveness. Say more about that because I'm really okay. interested now. <laughs> <laughs> well, because all of us have a core issue, something that we struggle with. And um, because my father traveled so much, I struggled with security. I was looking for security. So after that second marriage ended in divorce, I had another third marriage. And we were married for 10 years when he decided he didn't want to be married anymore, and he left, which only rattled my security even more. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't long before I was dating someone else and married a fourth time. And that ended in divorce. And at that point, I thought, you know, something is really wrong here. This isn't normal. What's going on? If you had said, Ruth, you are insecure— I would have said, oh, well, Jesus is my security. Mm -hmm. But really deep down at the core, that was not true. I was looking for security from some man to give me. And after that fourth divorce, and after I, I was talking to a friend, beating myself up, bemoaning the fact, humiliated by it all, and he said to me, Ruth, he said, you felt abandoned as a little girl by your father. I did not want that to be true. Because I adored my father. I still do. He's my hero. But inside, I knew that that piece fit the puzzle. And I'm not blaming my father. I'm not blaming my parents at all. I made my own choices. But sometimes, while we may have no excuse, there are reasons. And I was looking for security all those years. And I just picked the kind of men that would never be able to grant me that security. Mm -hmm. And... I learned a valuable lesson, you know, that, that we, we can forgive ourselves. When we find the reason, we can forgive ourselves. And so I was able to forgive myself for something that I never thought I'd ever be able to do. I just I could not tell you how much I beat myself up. But I remember sitting in Sunday school class, oh, it's been about a year or so ago, and we were talking about 1 Corinthians, and we are comparing the culture of, First Corinthians to our culture today, and the Sunday school teacher asked, when did we begin the downward slide in our culture? And someone in the back hollered, when we accepted divorce. Normally, I would have cringed. I would have crawled under the pew and just wanted to die. Mm -hmm. uh, but I heard it, but it didn't affect me. And afterwards, after the class was over, the man came up to me. He said, oh, Ruth, he said, I'm so sorry. He said, I meant to say easy divorce. And I looked at him, and I said, Lowell, I said, I realize today that I am standing in Romans 8.1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I realized that I had truly forgiven myself, that not only had God forgiven me, but I had forgiven myself. And that was a hard-won situation, but I'm so grateful that God revealed that to me. And I truly live in that freedom. I don't worry about it. Okay, I think I'll take a little break. I'm speaking to Ruth Graham. Her book is Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself.
the show. So glad to be uh, talking to Ruth Graham today about her book, Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself. You know, Ruth, you had mentioned in your book, and I would love for you to talk to the listeners about this, how we have a tendency of going to church, and then when people say, how are you? Of course, the (laughs) default answer is, I'm fine. Things are Mm -hmm. great. When -hmm. you know in your heart of hearts, things are not great. We are afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid to show our true selves. And and we can't go around blurting things all over to everybody. Uh, You have to pick those kinds of friends carefully. We need people who we can share with. I I have a wonderful prayer group that um, we, we pray together and we I'm vulnerable to them, and I'm uh, very transparent with them. But I think it's important to be able to be transparent in in church and to be able to say, you know, I'm really not fine. I need help here. I need some prayer. Isn't that what church is all about? I would I would certainly think so. <laughs> but we we made it into something different. And I um, I really I remember going to church one Sunday and a lady behind me, a friend, said, "Oh, Ruth, it's good to see you. How are you?" And I said, "I'm fine." And the church service started, and I thought, you know, I just lied to her. I am not fine. So after the service was completed, I went to her and I said, I'm really sorry I lied to you. I said, I'm not fine. I, I just need some help. And she said, oh, I'm so glad you said that. She said, I'm struggling too. And she said, can we pray together? <laughs> well, see, it. that's where real ministry takes place. Absolutely, yeah. If we both keep our masks on, it's going to be mask to mask instead of heart to heart. Yeah, so true. You know, I think that's where recovery groups have an advantage yes. uh, because you can go in there and what you say does not leave those walls. And I think there's sometimes that fear of of showing the world at church who you really are. And then you don't also want to be caught up in a in a cycle of gossip, which can happen in church as well. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're human beings in church, yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. Let me put that on my prayer list. And, you know, we mm-hmm. need to pray for so-and-so. Oh, what mm-hmm. we're really trying to do is gossip a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're, we're very guilty of that. Um, so, no, I, I can understand that. So um, as we uh, talk about s- some of the, um, the side effects of, of not forgiving, what, what, are, what are some of the things that come along with staying uh, in a place where you're not forgiving, besides bitterness, of course? Where else? What else well, can we I talk about? Well, I think you don't grow. Yeah. You just don't grow spiritually. And so I think it's very important to... Maintain an open heart um, as far as forgiveness is concerned so that you will grow so that the Lord can enter in and find fertile ground. Mm-hmm. But if we hold bitterness and we hold on to that, actually, we're being disobedient. Forgiveness is a command. Mm-hmm. And when we are disobedient, the Lord can't use us as fully as he would. The Lord won't allow us to grow like he would have plans for us. You know, he has, he has great plans for us. But if we're holding on to our unforgiveness, um, I used this illustration with my grandchildren the other day, but the monkey who's holding on to the banana in the bottle, you know, he just wouldn't let go, and so he died holding <laughs> on to that banana. And so often I think we hold on to stuff, and we're willing to die rather than let go and let God give us what we need. In your book, you talk about some of the, the anger you felt, and I know Jesus certainly felt betrayal. I know you felt betrayal. And these are such real, honest emotions. I wondered if you wouldn't just kind of talk about how you navigated your way through some of those. 
<laughs> not well. <laughs> well, that, and I, I got that impression from the book. So. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I just had a real difficult time with my first husband. I was so angry with him. And I really think that I was angry with him. He, he has since passed away. Uh, he died when he was 52. And um, I was never able to ask for his forgiveness because I needed to ask for his forgiveness because one particular day we were all enjoying out with my pastor and his family and we're at the pool and we were enjoying ourselves and something triggered me and I just exploded. I didn't care who heard me or what I said. I just exploded all over him. I wanted him to hurt as badly as I did. And my pastor and his wife wisely gathered up my children and took them home with them. And I just let my husband have it one side down the other, just peeled him a great, like a grape. And, Uh um, I was just angry, and I never asked his forgiveness for that mm-hmm. because we never we were we went through the divorce and it was difficult to do and uh, just so many things that happened and but I remember thinking after he died, you know, I'm going to have to ask his forgiveness, but how do I do it now? So in prayer, I have asked the Lord to tell him that I'm sorry, to ask his for forgiveness, and I know there's no theology for that, but. I know that God is God and he can do what he wants, but I wanted my first husband to know how deeply sorry I was for the way I treated him. And I'm sure that the bitterness that I felt in my heart must have affected my children at some level. Um, They have turned into wonderful, sweet, forgiving adults, but maybe I could have made it a lot easier on them if I had just forgiven their father more readily Mm -hmm. and been more honest about that. It's not easy, though. And I go back to no, some of not. the earlier things we talked about, Ruth. I mean, it, it, forgiveness is just not easy. No, and I'm not saying it is. As a matter of fact, it, it's just a real struggle. It's a, and I, like I said, it's a, a process over time, and it may take the rest of your life. Yeah. But that's okay. It's worth it. And I will tell you it's worth it. I, I so appreciate the courage of sharing with listeners that he's your first husband is gone, and you didn't get it, really a chance to make it right with him, but you've asked God to, in some capacity, in some way to, you know, be the conduit to forgiveness. And uh, there's just a lot of people out there listening, Ruth, that are in the same situation. The person that they really would like to ask for forgiveness is just not available anymore. Mm. Then, Then we just have to go to God in humility and say, God, I blew it. I did not take the t- the opportunity to ask for forgiveness. I'm sorry. Would you step in there for me. Mm-hmm. And and God is God. He can do that, you know. Um, and like I said, there's no theology, and people may question that, but God is God. And he, if he knows our heart is to forgive, and that's what we really long to do, mm-hmm. then I think he will make that happen. Yeah, Ruth, what's the difference between working through the process and then constantly beating yourself up all the time? Well, working through the process has a positive goal. Beating yourself up has no positive goal. It's just, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it's just beating yourself up, and it doesn't. It's not pr- um, produce anything. It just um, no. But if you have a goal of forgiveness, um, that's going to be positive, and you are working towards something that's going to produce life. Whereas if you're beating yourself up, that's not going to produce life or health. Yeah, and it's really not our job to help someone understand their wrongdoing, is it? No, if the kid, they can't. If they, if we're trying to tell them what they did wrong, by and large, they put up their defenses, and they're not going to hear you anyway. Mm-hmm. And we just have to. The best thing to do is humble ourselves, be gracious, be loving, 
ask forgiveness when we are wrong, and let God do the work on the other person. Mm-hmm. In your book, you uh, talk about a little bit about the the physical pain and suffering Jesus went through on the cross, and and even as I read those words, and I know the story, and I've read it a thousand times and seen it in you know fifty movies, it is still so powerfully moving uh, of the sacrifice he made, of how he would leave the elite status of of heaven and be born as a baby and then go to the cross to die for our sins and that he would then be forgiving us and Mm -hmm. to love us. And then we contemplate the cross and then we turn around and we're not willing to forgive someone else. It's just, it's crazy. Well, it is, but I don't think even our wildest imagination, do we understand what the crucifixion was all about? Yeah. I just, the brutality of it. Man has never come up with a more brutal um, type of execution. Yeah. It just torture beyond belief. Uh-huh. I mean, from the from the scourging and the beating to the crown of thorns, the whole nine yards. It's beyond comprehension, and yet he did it. He did it for us because he loved us, and we just don't have that capacity to love like that. That's so true. But he does, and he we can be a channel of his love to other people as we forgive. If we want to be. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about, in chapter 10, you talk about telling yourself the truth. And I love this quote by William Backus and Marie uh, Chapin. It says, tackle your misbeliefs, replace them with the truth. Mm. It's a great line. It is. We replace them with the truth of the scripture. Mm -hmm. That's the truth that we have. And we have to replace our false thinking. Um, And I had to tell myself the truth. You know, I finally had to come to to the point where after my fourth marriage, to say, you know, what's wrong with me? You know, what's going on here? Why am I doing this? And I had a friend who very graciously and kindly said, Ruth, you felt abandoned. Well, I had to then admit that to myself. And I never had that conversation with my father because he was not com- couldn't communicate at that point. Um, so I know that he's, he knows it now. But he would have been brokenhearted had he thought that he'd caused that much hurt to me. And, uh, but I had to tell myself the truth that I was, I felt abandoned and I had made these bad choices. I don't excuse myself. I don't blame my father, but I had made these bad choices and I had to face myself in the mirror and say, okay, now what are you going to do about it? Now I could beat myself up. I could crawl myself in a hole and wish myself to die or can just say, okay, Jesus, I bring it to you. All these broken pieces, all this hurt, all this need for security, would you please take care of it for me? And he does. He does. But, you know, I had to recognize my core issue that uh, I felt abandoned and I was looking for security. Yeah. Well, when I think of Isaiah 61 and it says that he, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That, and there's, right. there's so many uh, broken hearts. And if the broken hearts are never Binded up, uh, you don't you don't move out into the world in strength the way you would if you understood where your brokenness lied and how Christ can heal it. That's right. It's so important to know where your brokenness is. And and I didn't for years. I mean, there were a lot of broken places. I mean, I tended to all these different broken places with the infidelity of my husband and all that other stuff. But um, I hadn't gotten to the core one. I hadn't gotten right down deep where the secrets are kept. And finally, 
the Lord in his grace allowed me to see it. And as much as I don't like talking about it and as much as I don't like the fact that I have had these four marriages, I still see it now as God enabling me to minister to others because I'm not the only one who's made repeated bad choices. I mean, look at Samson. I think I use him as an example in the Bible. You did. He he was he went out of his way to do bad things. <laughs> I didn't go out of my way to do bad things, but I just kept making the bad, same uh, bad choice. And the other people have done the same thing, and they need to know that God's grace is more than sufficient. And Ruth, you're not excusing it. You're just explaining it. Yes, and you, exactly. And if you've been abandoned, you felt that way, and your heart was broken as a result. You were acting out in ways that was were trying to feel that fill that void. I mean, that's, that's right. Seems pretty natural, doesn't it? Well, it was human. It's just human. Um, and but still a sin. And I was being willful, and I was not looking to Jesus as my security. But I understand all that now. Mm-hmm. Um, Ruth, talk about the, just the importance of uh, community and how oh. we desperately uh, need that for wholeness. Well, I mentioned a, a bit ago that I have a prayer group that I meet with regularly, and we pray about everything, and, and I'm able to be very transparent with them about where I am and what I'm thinking and so forth. That's vital to me. Um, and I'm right now in the middle of, of switching churches, and so I don't have my old church family that I love and adore, but I'm moving into a new church. Um, and so I'm going to have to reestablish those kinds of relationships where I can be honest and transparent and be myself and then get beyond the Ruth Graham stuff. But I think that it's, it's so important to have community. And I use the illustration of Judas and Peter, uh, that Peter denied the Lord Jesus three times. He was brokenhearted. He went out and wept bitterly. But then he went back to the disciples. We are told that he was with them when Jesus appeared. So he went back to community. Judas betrayed the Lord. He went back to the wrong community. He went back to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they threw, he wanted to give them the money back, and they threw it on the ground and let him go. He went to the wrong community. If he'd gone back to the disciples and say, hey, guys, do you, do you understand what I've done? I'm so, I'm so heartbroken. But he didn't. And... He went out and hung himself. There's a difference of being in community, and of course, being in the right community. You don't want to be in, a, you know, a community that's going to be um, harmful to you or not point you in the right direction. You want to be in a godly community, and um, and we choose those carefully, and we we find a few close friends that we can be totally transparent with, and then we find a larger group that we can be moderately transparent with and just enjoy them. But it's so important. I, I, I I'm reading now a book on loneliness, and they talk about connection being so vital for our our health, our mental well-being. We have to be in community. And Jesus made it that way. I'm good niece. Good night. He said it's not good for man to be alone, and it isn't. Yeah. And just the fact you had mentioned loneliness, and I think there's never been a time in this world where there are more people suffering from loneliness and they're apparently more connected I'm putting that in. I'm putting that in air quotes right now. That's right, exactly. Um, than they've ever been in, in their life, and yet they they don't have anyone to put their arms around, or That's a right. shoulder to cry on, or a movie to go see some see a movie with someone, or laugh with somebody. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's not a real people connection. It, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I I agree with you 100. percent It's a terrible problem. Yeah. And and our young people are constantly looking at their screens. Yes, they are. 
speaking to Ruth Graham. Her book is Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself. We will take a short break and be back in 90 seconds. talking to Ruth Graham today about her book, Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself. Now, I would love to talk a little bit more about uh, bitterness because I know a lot of people, they, they, they don't think they're bitter, but they are. Mm. And you, you know, you can't tell them they're bitter because they just get mad. But there's a, there, you know, there's a, a problem with just really letting go of something. And, and when, when, do you, when do you know that you've really forgiven well, you know, bitterness is normal. It's, it's part of our human nature. Uh, we will be bitter at times. The Bible says don't let the root of bitterness go down and flourish. In other words, don't nurture it. You will experience bitterness, but don't nurture it. Don't set up camp. Don't feed it and fertilize it. But get rid of it. And again, we, I hate to say this over and over again, we take it to God and take it to, in prayer and say, God, I'm feeling so bitter right now. And maybe you say, well, well, maybe I'm not feeling bitter. Maybe I feel fine. Like I said, when you see that person, the first thing that comes to your mind is what they did to you. Or when their name comes up, you want to tell everybody what they did. You just will not let go of that hurt. That's where bitterness loves to dwell. And if you're, one of your listeners is in that position, take a good look around and say, is this bitterness? Am I harboring bitterness without my being aware of it? It may be the case, and examine it before the Lord and say, okay, Lord, you show me where my bitterness is and help me uproot it because I do not want to defile others. Okay, Ruth, I'm not good at math, but there's an equation, and you can help me with this. The degree to which you don't forgive is going to be the degree to which you're going to suffer plus, plus, plus. Mm, Yes. I believe that. I, I believe if we don't forgive... Um, then we carry that with us, you know? And I know people say that forgiveness is a letting go and it's a gift you give yourself and all all that's true. I I believe that. But if we hold on to bitterness, it's like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. Right, right. And it's not healthy. Yeah, and you do carry around this this weight of unforgiveness. And it starts to erode your joy and your hope and you're almost being held prisoner to someone who may not be thinking about you at all. Exactly right. It, it's it's really not a good deal. No, you're giving rent-free space in your brain to them. Yeah. So when when you stand in Romans eight one, like you talk about, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, we have to just realize that that's our truth. That's our reality as Absolutely. followers of Jesus. Yes, and we can stand on that, and we can. Take it to the bank. It's just God's word is true, and God's promises are real. And I know there's times that people, because of the pain in their life, they feel that maybe God is mad at them, and my circumstances are what they are, and it all makes sense because God's probably mad at me. What would you say to those listeners? God isn't mad. (laughs) I think sometimes when we experience the consequences of our sin, we think that that's a punishment from God. That isn't. Um, 
we are experiencing the consequences. But God is, when we are hurting with the consequences of our sin, he's hurting with us. You know, he's, he loves us. He is not standing there with his arms crossed looking at a, with a frown at us, mm-hmm. judging us. Not at all. He's hurting with us. He wants to come alongside of us and love us and help us and, and bring the joy back. Ruth, how did you su- silence some of the, the negative thoughts you had as you were working through your own forgiveness journey? With, only with the Scripture. Okay. Only with the Scriptures to, to find the relevant Scripture, memorize it, and quote it back to myself over and over and over again until it like it was a like a well dug rut. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> can you uh can you point us to some of the scriptures that you just went back to over and over again? Well, I love of course I love John 1:16. Uh-huh. Of his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. And and I think we have to give grace to ourselves. I think that's important. I went back to Ephesians 4, is it 4.32? Be ye kind one to another, mm-hmm. forgiving. I've, I, there was a woman in my life that every time she called, it was like nails on a chalkboard. And I just, as soon as I heard her voice, I go, oh. But she was a member of my family, my distant family. She was mm-hmm. a member of my distant family. So I knew I had to deal with it, you know. And um, so one day I said, okay, I'm going to use that verse. And so next time she called me, I felt that same feeling, but I said, okay, I'm going to recite that verse. Be kind, tenderhearted, loving towards one another, and that was fine. And then the next time she called, the feelings came back again, so I quoted the verse again, just over and over, until finally one day she called, and I realized I didn't have those feelings anymore. When I say that this book is an invitation to the miracle of forgiveness, it really is, because it is a miracle. I have no idea when it happened, how it happened only that it did happen. And it didn't happen by my efforts. It happened by God's doing in me. Mm -hmm. All I had to do was open the door for his spirit to come in. I love that. So, Ruth, is forgiveness an event or an attitude? Both. Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I think it's an event when you make the decision, Uh and then it's an attitude afterwards. Let's um, just chat about the intimacy you can have with God once you have forgiven and you've unburdened this thing in your heart that maybe you've carried around for a year or a decade or two decades. You're not stuck anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a freedom. There's a lightness. There's a joy. There's a peace. All the fruits of the Spirit, you know, it's just there's a gentleness in your heart. You're not condemning anymore. You just... um, it's almost like, you know, people who float on the water and they just feel so light. You know, they're just, they're resting in the water. That's a little bit like that feeling where mm-hmm. you're just, you're at peace. There's just a joy that wells up in you because you know you're at peace with everybody else too. Yeah, that's beautiful. Not only God, but others as well. Mm-hmm. And that's way God wants his family to live. Yeah. Ruth, I know there's so many listeners that struggle with forgiveness and I would love for you to uh, wrap our time up with just a word of prayer for someone who maybe in being that they're in that stuck place and and they're suffering and there's a heaviness in their life and they just they don't want to be there anymore and they just need the power of the gospel and the cross to bring them to that place they need to be okay i'll be happy to heavenly father we thank you that you are not limited by distance or space time and that we can come together over the airwaves and father I just want to pray for the listener 
today that is struggling, who may have heard this conversation or maybe just part of this conversation and has been checked in her spirit, his spirit, that there's a person they need to forgive. But it's so hard. The person doesn't deserve it. They don't feel like doing it. It's just it's just a struggle. Lord, I pray that they will not hold on to the unforgiveness, but, Lord, that they would just make the choice, just the first step of making the choice and say, Lord, I choose to forgive so-and-so. The feelings may not come. The feelings may be a long way off, but, Lord, that they would make those that decision, and you will inhabit that decision. And as they walk through that process, And if they would memorize the scripture and use the truth that you've given us in the scripture, that they would be able to work out that forgiveness through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for that person to find the peace and the joy and the love that only you can give. And they would be kind to themselves. And Lord, for the person who needs to forgive themselves, that you would enable them to forgive themselves because it's so important. And, Father, we will give you the glory because I believe that you want us to walk in forgiveness. I think you want us to walk in that miracle of forgiveness. And I pray that for every listener to experience the miracle of forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Ruth, thank you so much. You've been an absolute delight to have on the show. Well, thank you very much. So enjoyed this. Ruth Graham has been my guest, and her uh, spectacular and and amazing book is called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself, An Invitation to the Miracle of Forgiveness. That wraps up our hour and wraps up the show for the day. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.